His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. So it's summer camp day. Is it? It's summer camp day for us. If I knew the happy camper song, I would sing it, but I don't. Oh, the I'm a happy camper? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know it either. I don't, yeah. I only went to summer camp once, and that was for band my senior year of high school. So it was more like band camp. It was definitely, it was, no, it was, it was band camp because it was just me and the other kids from my school Mm. that were in band. And... I kind of looked like Allison Hannigan in high school. Yes, you so, did. So, yes, I did get a lot of band camp American Pie jokes, which was not super great. I never went to a summer camp, but I did go to a day camp. Nice. That sounds... So it was like summer camp light. Nice. Okay. Well, today we're going to talk about summer camp movies mm. and vacation movies, because there aren't nearly as many good summer camp movies as what I thought there might be. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to be good. They don't, well, as I discovered, (laughs) most of them aren't. Like, even the ones that are classics. And I don't, I don't know. We'll get into that here in a minute. So we decided we were going to do this, even though this summer is very different from summers of the past because Mm. of everything that's going on in the world, I'm sure there are probably not as many people going to summer camp not as many people going on vacation, depending on where you live, you know, stuff may still be shut down pretty hard. Yeah, we kind of wanted to do something special just because hey, it's summer, let's do something fun. Sounds like fun. It it did. (laughs) And then I watched the entire Friday the 13th franchise. There are great things in that franchise. Right. I don't really have anything as far as like, history goes for summer camps and vacations because i mean how do you really how do you really do that because like camping like there's this great jim gaffigan quote where his he's talking to his wife about how she loves to go camping and she's like camping is a tradition in my family and he's like it was a tradition in everyone's family until we invented the house yeah good point And, and i've just never really got i remember as a kid i don't you probably don't remember this or maybe you do i don't know Do you remember the Disney Channel show Bug Juice? I have heard of it. It was like a pseudo-reality TV show, like, about kids at summer camp. And, like, for a short period of time, it kind of made me want to go to camp. Mm. But, like, we we couldn't really afford it. And there weren't any, like, really good camps anywhere close. Even the summer camp I went to for band, we rented, like, a a summer camp down in, like, the, the boot heel. And it took us over four hours to get there. And it was crazy. That sounds... What's the opposite of delightful? I mean, it wasn't bad, mm. but it wasn't bad. Fair enough. Uh, my mom, Jesse, and I were both in, in band that year because I was a senior and she was a sophomore. So mom actually went with us as a chaperone slash first aid health person okay. in charge. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. There was actually one day where a kid hit his head on the dock as he was diving off. He slipped and my slamming into the dock of the bay my mom and a couple and our band director had to take him into town to the hospital so he could get stitches yeah that was, was he a snitch 
No. Oh, well, that would have been poetic. No, he was actually really cool about it, too. He was really, like, did not make a big deal or anything. Cool. So, as far as summer camp movies goes, the main one that everybody knows is the Friday the 13th franchise. Yeah. I mean, they're all in a camp. You would think so, uh, but they're not. <laughs> so, the first one... Mm-hmm. The OG, which I know, which we've talked about a couple times, right. does take place at a summer camp that is getting ready to reopen. Right. So there's no kids there. It's just like the counselors and the dude that owns it. And even the second movie, which also takes place like on Crystal Lake, kind of close to the, the old camp. It is basically like people that are training to be camp counselors. So, so it's at least kind of camp related. So it's like Camp Star versus Camp Rock. But with no kids. It's just the counselors. Oh. And no music. Well, that too. Mm. Or at least no no good music. <laughs> There's like, uh, the first... I love the like the weird the country like folksy music that's used to introduce in the first movie uh, Kevin Bacon's character... And his girlfriend and their friend Ned. Yeah. It's just they're just like driving up the road and it's like digga digga do digga do digga digga do digga do digga do digga digga do. You alright there? Yeah. Alright. You're welcome. You're welcome for that. So like one through four in my opinion, one through four are fine. Cause they're just like one and two like one you've got it's Pamela Voorhees. Two is where you get in Jason, but he's not got the iconic hockey mask yet. He's basically just wearing like a pillowcase with a hole cut out for one eye. Yeah, like a potato sack or something. Yeah. yeah. And so three and four are also, again, all the first four are fine. The one issue I had is that they kind of recycle a lot of the same kills, which I didn't notice until I was watching the movies back to back because I was doing like three in a day. And so the same, he, he uses some of the same kills over and over. One is throwing a girl out of a second story window. Mm. Sometimes it's onto a car. Sometimes it's just onto the ground. Okay. Uh, another one is crushing someone's head with his hands. Usually that's male victims. Yeah. And I want to say it's the second one. It's either the second one or the third one that's in 3D. Uh, it's three. Threes and 3D. That's the one where it has that god-awful paper mache head with a, an eyeball that comes out. Three, because it's in 3D, it has a lot of moments where they're just like doing stuff in 3D just to do 3D. Like straight into the camera. Like you can tell when it was when there was some supposed to be some sort of 3D effect because there's like stuff happening in a way that doesn't happen in movies. Like popcorn popping up towards the camera or a guy playing with a yo-yo and a yo-yo going back and like towards the camera and away from the camera. It just, it was very obvious when they were using that gimmick and it honestly kind of pulled me out of the movie a couple Mm. times. Yeah. The other one that I found was really weird that happens in almost every Jason or Friday the 13th movie Mm -hmm. is stabbing someone from underneath their bed. With the one exception of the hammock couple, where they were stabbed from, from the top. She was. Well, yeah, she, yeah, she was. Because he was um, oh, right, bisected, awesome. with, bisected <laughs> with a machete. 
um while doing a handstand while doing so a handstand yeah bisected while doing a handstand you know where that lands exactly but like they did it the best i feel like the best one was was definitely in the first movie in that sweet it was one of it's as far as like tom savini makeup effects it's one of my favorites mm-hmm. and i love the fact that when so it's Kevin Bacon getting stabbed through the throat with an arrow from like underneath the bed, which first of all, that's got to be, that's got to take a lot of strength. So props to Pamela Voorhees for having the strength to do that. And she did that one handed because the other hand was holding his head. Was holding his head. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing is apparently the, um, the blood didn't spray quite right when they were doing the effect. So Tom Savini's friend Tasso yeah. was like spraying, like blowing through a straw to make it do a little bit more of the effect. <laughs> That's awesome. The, I remember this again from from going to pieces. They talked about how like Tom Savini just like showed up in his car one day with like all this cool stuff in the back and his friend Tasso and just like was started making all these cool effects. Mm-hmm. I just think I don't know. I just think that's cool. If I could ever meet Tom Savini, that would just be like I I could die happy at that point. Just because. Well, hopefully not at the moment. Well, no, I'm... not at that moment. Hopefully. So yeah, stabbing people from underneath the bed it happens quite a bit. If it's not from underneath the bed, it's from like right above, like the couple and two with the spear. Mm-hmm. The only other one that's not that way is he stabs someone from underneath with a they're on a raft in the water right 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 and he stabs someone from underneath there there's also a lot of every single woman has a woman every single one has a woman skinny dipping like by herself like solo skinny dipping which i have never like i've never understood the appeal of skinny dipping at all but i also but i definitely don't understand the appeal of skinny dipping by myself in a haunted lake in the middle of the night. <laughs> so you've never like looked around and said, hey, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on and people are disappearing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my clothes off and then I'm going to go run off this dock and go go for a swim. No, no, I've never thought that ever, mm. ever in my life. As far as the series goes, I think Jason X and the 2009 reboot have some of the best kills. I'm going to talk about some of the other films in the franchise here in a minute, but I wanted to get the positive stuff out of the way before I bagged on this franchise for a while. Well, don't ruin my childhood. I'm not gonna. Hopefully. <laughs> so, uh, I think Jason X and the 2009 reboot have some of the best kills. Right. So, Jason X has got the the liquid nitrogen, mm. which I know, like, Mythbusters said that that's not how that works. It wouldn't be possible. But it's still really cool to have that girl's face be, like, dunked in liquid nitrogen. And then, like, he smashes her face on a counter. I just think that's neat. I also really like the space marine who gets chucked on top of like a giant screw that's in part of the ship for some reason. Yeah. And his body just like spins down the screw. And then the other space marines find him and they're like, what's the status on so-and-so? And the chick who's found him is like, he's screwed. Because <laughs> just... I mean, what else are you going to say at that point? Yes. It has some really... Jason X is very tongue-in-cheek. And I like that. Mm-hmm. The, the last one is when... um. The one chick, I think her name is Janessa, gets sucked into space. And like right before she gets sucked into space, she she says, this sucks on so many levels. Which again, is just weird. But also, Jason X definitely does not take itself too seriously. And I super appreciate that, honestly. Yeah. And then the 2009 reboot, we have 
the girl in the sleeping bag who gets hung above the fire. Oh, yeah, that's brutal. Which my only problem with is, given what most sleeping bags are made out of, I feel like it would catch fire and just disintegrate long before she roasted to death. Yeah, nylon isn't the best at holding things once it's on fire. No, nylon is super flammable. It goes up like a it goes up like Christmas. That's a phrase. I okay. promise. I, I believe you. <laughs> I also he uh, the axe throwing mm-hmm. is really good, and the the thing that I call threading the needle is when he takes that douchebag and he he shoves his machete into his back, and then grabs the front of the machete and pulls it through him. Yeah, that's that's pretty uh, pretty brutal, but also one of the most badass things I think I've ever seen Jason do. I honestly, the, the reboot Jason is kind of a badass. He runs. He there's he runs. There's none of the slow trudging. Oh, there is something kind of terrifying about no matter how fast you run, this slow and steady pace walk still gets to you, and or the theory that he teleports, which is why he doesn't have to run. Right. So I mentioned some of the later films in the franchise mm-hmm. in between four and Jason X. And I, I have s- some specific notes about a couple of them. So five through nine. Well, I didn't even watch nine because no. nine was not available. Most of the films were available for free on prime mm-hmm. and, but nine wasn't. And then I watched the dead meat kill list episode for nine And I am honestly kind of glad I didn't have to watch it (laughs) because it's ridiculous. And I will get into, I I think I have notes for that. So I will get into it. So five, number five is called A New Beginning. It's the, I think it's the, it's like the middle. There's a a set of movies that are called like the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Mm -hmm. And that is four, five, and six. And five is the one where he's on his way to like a, it's almost like a halfway house okay. type deal. But the thing is, that's the one where they decided because they killed Jason in four, they were like, okay, now we need a new killer. So in five, the killer's not even Jason. It's some fucking paramedic named Roy. And here's my problem with Roy. The whole reason he sets off onto this whole revenge killing spree mm-hmm. is because one of there's basically this guy Vic kills oh gosh I don't remember the character's name but it basically turns out that this kid that's get that gets killed Mm -hmm. is Roy's son now this kid thought he was an orphan his whole life and somehow Roy has a picture of him and apparently loves his son enough that he goes on a revenge murder rampage but not enough to introduce himself to him and be like by the way I'm your dad and take him out of this like orphanage slash halfway house. Oh, there's definitely that a he slash in the halfway house. But <laughs> it just, it didn't make any sense to me. It's like, <laughs> so you're going through all of this at, to, to avenge your son that you never acknowledged. It doesn't make any sense to me. He needed an excuse. Uh, apparently that's not, that's my only reasoning for that. I don't really have any notes on six. Uh, I basically went straight to seven, which was the new blood. Wait, which one was dead fuck? Uh, four. Okay. Yeah. Four is the one with Crispin Glover. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, de- dead fuck is said a lot, and it's yeah, it's it's from an imaginary computer. You got you had to be there. It's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. 
So I skipped I skipped six because I didn't really have a whole lot of notes on six. Mm-hmm. Seven is the new blood. And that's the one where we get this girl, Tina Shepard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in the horror community call the new blood Jason versus Carrie. Because Tina Shepard apparently has some sort of telekinetic abilities. It, it, it basically just like her abilities change based on what she needs to do. Because at one point, she's also like able to manipulate fire and raise the dead or something. I, I don't know. It's fucking weird. The other thing that is the whole reason they go to Crystal Lake, she and her mom and her psychiatrist is to try and figure out her whole telepathy powers because she accidentally killed her dad with her telepathy powers when she destroyed the dock he was standing on. And she even says several times like, oh, I don't know how to make it happen. It just happens. And 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 then suddenly at the end of a movie, she's able to control her powers well enough that she can fight Jason with them. And not even a little bit like she's full on like Jean Grey. Oh, yeah. At the end. My all time favorite move of hers, which is so ineffective, but so beautiful at the same time is there's this this potted house tree house plant yes that has some dude's head in it and it just she slowly floats it over to kind of push at him i mean it it's not like she's smashing it into him it's just kind of like a eh. yeah it like it but, doesn't even knock him over it's just kind of like, like like is she trying to gross him out because there's a head in it I don't he know. made the head happen. I, yeah he put that there and the other thing is so like at the end of the movie when she she summons like her dad her dead dad from the lake to pull Jason down into the waters of Crystal Lake to get rid of him. And I'm just like, okay, so did they just leave her dad's body in the lake? Because that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> I call upon the dad of the lake. Or did she like manifest his body? And here's the other thing. what If, if they did just leave his body there for some reason, like they weren't able to, who knows? I don't know. They weren't able to find it. Who knows? He does not, he's not decomposed at all. There's just like a little bit of like algae on his face. But otherwise, it just kind of looks like dad bod fell in a lake. Wait, was he a fisherman? No. Because they say old fishermen don't die, they just smell that way? No, he. as far as I know, he wasn't a fisherman. Okay. I don't know. The one positive I do have to say about the new blood is the Jason makeup is really good. Now like, that- you can see his spine. And, like, when he walks, his kneecap is exposed. But, like, you can see the bones and stuff moving. It looks so cool. But it also has my favorite kill in all of the Friday the 13th movies. Which one's your favorite? The weed eater scene. Oh, yeah. That not, that giant bladed weed eater. Yeah. I mean, it's more for, like, you know, cutting small brush, but yeah. Yeah, because the weed eaters I've seen are the kind that have, like, the... Your standard string trimmer. Stringy, stringy yeah. trimmers, yeah. It's got a brush cutting blade on it. Okay. That explains it, then. So then I have some thoughts about uh, number eight, which is Jason Takes Manhattan. And it is... In my opinion, it is without a doubt the most 80s film in the franchise. <laughs> There's just big hair and and like hard rock music and there's like a neon pink flying V guitar and cocaine and I don't know, it's it's the most 80s one, I think. And the thing is, Jason does not take Manhattan. Most of the movie is on a fucking boat. Now the boat is on its way to Manhattan, but you're just on that boat for an hour and three minutes because I clocked it, y'all. I paused the movie. Like the second they got that, that I saw, like 
they're in the harbor. There's the Statue of Liberty. I paused it to be like, okay, what's the timestamp? And it was an hour and three minutes. And then once they got there, it was another 20 minutes of them just on the fucking dock. Like just wandering around the port before they got on a subway and suddenly they're in Times Square. Apparently they didn't have, they weren't approved for the budget for a bunch of the New York stuff they wanted to do. And instead of just changing the title of a movie, they just left it. So what they do, just shoot all of their actual New York-centric stuff in one night and call it a day? Or I'm not exactly sure. But like they had all this other stuff planned. They were, Jason was going to interrupt a Broadway show. And the whole fight with Julius, that was supposed to take place in Madison Square Garden. That would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been really fucking cool. But the studio wouldn't give them the budget for it. Because at this point, Jason and the Friday the 13th franchise had kind of overstated its welcome and wasn't really making as much money. So they that that's how that happens. What year did that movie come out? Uh, 1989, which I think is also why it's the most 80s movie in the franchise. Okay, Ooh. so I'm trying to find out what shows they could have potentially interrupted. <gasps> what shows could they have interrupted? Because now I'm curious. I didn't look into that. <laughs> Well, you know, you, you can take the kid out of the theater, but you can't take the theater out of the kid. Fair. Oh, this this was a absolutely fantastic... 1989, okay. Yeah. I've got a list of the highest grossing Broadway shows of 1989. Okay. Uh, number one was Phantom of the Opera. <gasps> uh, the original Broadway cast of Les Mis. I'm just kind of skipping through to get to the ones that people will recognize maybe. Cats was there. I think Phantom would have been the best one for him to interrupt. Just because there could have been like a cool like uh, mask to mask bit. I disagree. Why? What else do you have? Uh, the uh. 87 to 89 cast of Anything Goes was going, but also the original cast of A Chorus Line. Mm, I still think Phantom would have been coolest. Cause just because of the, the whole mask to mask thing. That's true. Because the, the whole thing he does with the punks, where mm-hmm. like they're they're like, trying to intimidate him and then he just like flips up his mask like i could imagine the person playing the phantom trying to intimidate jason by like pulling up his mask to show like his like burnt face makeup and jason being like oh yeah and pulling up his mask basically replacing the punk scene with this broadway scene i feel like that would be that would be really cool and now i'm kind of sad that it's not gonna ever gonna happen someday oh well maybe maybe in an alternate universe maybe it happened so here are my some of my other problems with this particular one. So this cruise ship, mm-hmm. where's the rest of the crew? <laughs> no idea. Because there, I only saw four people. <laughs> and one of them was the captain, and the other one was like his first mate. And then there was like a deckhand and an engineer. But this cruise ship has a club with a bar and a restaurant and several other features. So yeah, you'd need a ton of food staff and porters and... Yeah. Wait staff, bartenders. Like there's one bit where they go into a, a kitchen, like a, a very nice galley kitchen, and there's like steam and stuff and there's plates with cloches over them. But I, and I'm just like, who the fuck made all this food? Where did because <laughs> there's like 10 plates with cloches. Uh, the more you say cloches, the more I think of just picturing Ted Allen at the end of the line, just saying whose dish is under. <laughs> right, exactly. So Here's my other thing. This cruise ship sets out from some port in New Jersey, I guess. So somehow Crystal Lake is connected to a river 
that is connected to the Atlantic coast enough that he can hop a cruise ship that's going from New Jersey to New York? Well, I mean, Jason can walk, so maybe he just kind of... I don't know. My other thing is the cruise ship gets wrecked and they are like the survivors row a rowboat from the wreck to New York the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. It's It doesn't say how long it takes. I'm assuming it, like a day and a night, I think is what it's meant to be. So did Jason swim from the wrecked ship, cruise ship to New York? Because per his mom in the first movie, he's not a very good swimmer. Yeah, but he's had time to practice. Right. That's my question. It's like, is, has he been taking lessons in the afterlife? Is he just hanging on to the underside of their rowboat? I don't... Maybe. Maybe that's why it takes him so fucking long. Maybe they were a lot closer to New York than they than they thought. And he was hanging on, so it was they were having to put more force into their rowing. So one of the other things I have is the sewer. So ah. there's this bit where, they're in, where the two surviving kids from this class trip to New York... <laughs> are in the sewer and they run into like a city worker, like a sanitation worker. And he, they're like, can you show us the way out of here? And he's like, oh, yeah, you're just in time. Because apparently in 1989 in New York, the sewer floods with toxic waste every night at midnight. And <laughs> yeah, toxic waste. That when it hits Jason later, like melts his flesh off. And honestly, that is the that is the least believable thing in a movie that has a girl having hallucinations of a dead drowned boy and a, a young Jason. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Also, if Jason drowned as a boy, how did he grow up? I don't know. I think there's there's some speculation that maybe he didn't drown. Like I don't but I like don't Like he just hung out by the water for I I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't explain it. The one thing I did appreciate is when he's in that fight with Julius, Mm -hmm. it's a very Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman moment where a lot of people are like, oh, man, this kid's really holding his own against Jason. And I'm like, no, he's Jason's letting this guy tire himself out. And then just like with one uppercut, like punches his head off. Although I will say, if you really did uppercut somebody's head off, it would not be like a clean line. No, it would not look like it was cut with a machete. It would, it there'd be some tearing. It would in theory. I kind of wish Tom had worked on that one because I know he would have done some really cool like effect to make it really look like torn flesh and ligaments and maybe like a bit of bone, something stringy. Yeah, it would have been really cool. As I said before, I didn't watch Nine because it wasn't available to watch for free. That's Jason Goes to Hell, right? That is Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah, you're you're not missing much. That's, from what I could see from watching the Kill List episode episode about it, as well as reading, like, the plot summary online, Mm -hmm. it's the most banana sandwich thing in the world. Because it's like, they blow him up, and then a coroner eats his heart and gets possessed. And then, like, it's... It's so weird. And suddenly Jason has a half-sister. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. But I don't know. We're moving on. We're moving on from moving on from Friday the 13th, unless you have some thoughts about it. No matter how much anyone shits on it, I still enjoy it because those were some of the first horror movies I got to see in theaters. Um, I vividly remember seeing, I mean, there were only about 10 of us in the theater for seven, and it was great. It sounds about right. I was the youngest person in there. How old were you? Mm, that would have been 1988. 
so I would have been eight or nine, yeah. depending on the month. I, I don't know what month. Don't really care. May. May. Okay, so yeah, I would have been, I would have been eight still. Yeah, that's. I didn't. I don't remember the first horror movie I saw in theaters. I definitely know I was older than eight. So we're gonna move away from the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Not, not Nightmare on Elm Street. Fuck. Sorry, y'all. Yeah, it's all editing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna move away from Jason and uh, the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, and we're gonna talk about a franchise that is a little weird and somewhat problematic in retrospect. Mm-hmm. And that is Sleepaway Camp, which I didn't even know was a franchise until we started researching for this episode. I knew there were multiple films, but I've only ever seen two of them. Mm. Uh, the first one and then uh, Return to Sleepaway Camp, which I actually saw a lot of people who were in the first returning right. to, reprise, right. to reprise their roles. So Sleepaway Camp, essentially this girl, Angela, who does not talk, really, not is much anyway. she's I don't remember exactly how old is she. She's like 13, 14. Somewhere in there. She is sent to Camp Arawak with her cousin Ricky by her super creepy aunt. I think super creepy is putting it kindly. Batshit crazy. I, I, I remember the first time watching that movie being like, what is wrong with this woman? And it has to be a lot given what ends up happening in yeah. this movie. And I don't. I don't necessarily want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. Mm. So basically, um, Angela, she doesn't really talk. She is very pulled into herself. Like, not just introverted, but like completely socially. She's the most in introverted introvert to ever introvert, essentially. The only person she ever really talks to for the most part for a while in the movie is like her cousin. Mm-hmm. And eventually she kind of opens up to one of his friends, Paul. But because she's so she's so quiet and she she doesn't go swimming with everybody else at the camp and she doesn't really want to participate in any of the activities and she doesn't she doesn't shower when the other girls in her cabin shower. She waits till everybody else is gone and showers by herself. She ends up getting bullied really badly for for a lot of this. And it kind of sucks because there's like I feel like if she hadn't if she hadn't had to deal with some of these bullies, she probably would have been okay. But basically, people start dying at the camp or having horrible accidents. And most of the time, it's people, it's becomes clear pretty quickly that it's people who have fucked with Angela. And so some people start to, you're, you're led to believe that it's her cousin, basically. Yeah. And... I will say that the first movie, at the very least, and I know from some of the stuff we've seen, some of the other films in the franchise, the kills at least are very unique. Oh, yeah. They're like if, if you wanted to see a movie where you're bored of your standard run of the mill kills, this is your movie. Yeah, absolutely. There's one where a cook who attempts to molest Angela gets a. I don't know how how much water do you think was in that pot because it's a well it, it was the largest stock pot I think I've ever seen it's like a four foot tall stock pot yeah three to four feet tall so I would say there was probably a good and I'm probably off in my volumetrics here but probably a good 15 20 gallons in there of boiling water that gets poured on him mostly his face and yeah. he doesn't die that we know of like he at least gets carted away like wrapped in bandages, but he's he's just in extreme pain. He could die later of like shock or or some or an infection. We don't yeah. know. 
but that one's really bad. <laughs> the other one that really makes me cringe mm. is one of the characters is killed with a curling iron mm-hmm. that is still on, and it is shoved into a place that you would never want to have a curling iron shoved. To give you an idea, this is a female character that this is yeah. happening to. So it's they don't show it because they couldn't because uh, I think they had they had the the scene filmed, but like they couldn't sh- they couldn't show it. They ended up having to re-edit it because it was deemed to be like too too much basically. But it's still like to this day makes me cringe when I think about it. I'm cringing right now. Yeah. One thing about this particular, about Sleepaway Camp in general, uh, particularly the first film, but the franchise also, is it hasn't necessarily aged well because the plot twist is rather problematic. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to give, I don't want to give it away in in case you all want to watch this movie. But there is, I actually found a Dread Central article mm-hmm. about it that basically amounts to, basically, it's like, go ahead and watch it, but learn that what you're seeing is not okay. Like the way certain things, certain subjects are portrayed. I'll, I'll put the article on our Facebook page later on after this ap- next week, um, just so other people can read it if they're interested. But it's it's really well, it's a very well written article. And I was mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One other thing about Sleepaway Camp is don't expect an extremely serious movie because one minute, you know, someone's getting injured or killed and then you're spending, God, how long is that baseball game? Like, like there's it two dissolves. Like, it feels to, like 20 minutes. There's like two dissolves to show the passage of time. And I mean, either show us the whole damn game or it's or just, just show- yeah, because it's just these kids at camp playing baseball. And we see base. Yeah, there's two dissolves. And it does, however, have my favorite ever insult. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the, I think the guy's name is is Bill. Yeah, Bill goes. And yeah, Ricky says something to Bill and Bill goes, eat shit and die, Ricky. And Ricky completely deadpan goes, eat shit and live, Bill. And I'm just like. <laughs> Which keep, keep in mind, Bill is like. 17? Ricky looks like he's 13. And yeah, it, it's just great. Well, because this is one of the rare instances where they had teenagers playing teenagers. Yeah. So like um, Phyllis Rose, mm-hmm. who plays Angela, she was only like 14. And I think the, the kid who plays her cousin, I think he was 13, 14 as well. So this is true. If you want to see a menagerie of all the types of shorts that should never come back into fashion... It's short, short galore. Ronnie's short shorts. Oh my gosh. Ronnie. And I'm not talking like ladies wearing Daisy Dukes. These are guys wearing some of the shortest shorts. These are ever like some shorts. serious nut hugger shorts. So that's a, that's all I have for summer camp movies. But I do have a couple of like camping or camping type movies that I wanted sure. to include. So the, Yeah, absolutely. The, so the first one is Wrong Turn. Oh yeah. Which I have summarized as uh, <laughs> inbred redneck cannibal family. Wait, are we are we going back to back to cabin in the woods? That that sounds like a. It does. It, it does kind of. Yeah. So basically, there's it involves a group and then like one guy who's on his own because he's on his way to a job interview, getting into an accident in the woods, in I think it's West Virginia. Yeah, it's West Virginia. And there's a inbred 
redneck cannibal family this has, that starts hunting them. This has Eliza Dushku in it, if I recall correctly. Yes. She actually did a lot of her own stunts. Mm-hmm. And this is also the first wrong turn. It's the only film in the series to have no sex or nudity. Every every other one does, whether you want it or not. Ugh. Because in the second one, there is a decently long sex scene between two members of the inbred family that are simply known as brother and sister. Mm. Yeah. There are seven movies in this franchise, by the way. Yeah. I didn't realize there were that many. I thought there were like three. No, there are seven. And I've only only seen four of them. Was seven called Wrong Turn Still Frickin' Wrong? They kind of went back and did like a... There was one called like Bloody Beginnings where they kind of tried to do like an origin story that nobody really wanted. Mm. I don't know. It's weird. So then the next one I have is Cabin Fever, Mm. which flesh eating bacteria. This is one where you you better have a strong stomach if you're going to watch this movie because some of the gore is cringe inducing. There is there is one particular scene where I still have to cover my eyes because I'm like, I just can't. So fun fact from this, Eli Roth actually got the idea when he was working on a horse farm in Iceland. Apparently, he got a really bad skin infection mm-hmm. from rotting hay. And the whole, huh. so the whole scene where she's shaving her legs and her skin starts to come off. Yeah. That happened to him. Only oh. it was his face. Yeah. Well, he got better. Yeah. The other cool thing is none of the characters that die actually die from the disease. Hmm. They die from other from other means. So like one one character gets shot. Actually, I think a couple characters get shot. Yeah. And uh, one character, actually, no, two characters, I think, get mauled to death by a dog. So that I found interesting. This one also has a couple sequels. It has two sequels and a reboot. Of those, the second sequel, which is called Patient Zero, mm-hmm. yeah. is my favorite. Patient Zero is the one with uh, Sean Astin. Yes. Where he has the disease, but is asymptomatic. And so the movie takes place on this island at this medical facility where they're trying to study him and figure out why he has this disease, but it seems to affect everybody but him. It's Because he's Sean friggin' Aston. It sounds weird, but it's really good. At least I thought so. So the next one I have is uh, The Descent, which I have have summarized as spelunking goes wrong. I guess that kind of, you know, it's an adult vacation where they know they're going to have to go back to work someday. Well, because that was their whole thing is there is they they went on annual trips. Mm -hmm. And then this is the first one since the lead, Sarah, her her husband and child died. And so they're supposed to be spelunking in this one cave system that is well established. And fucking Juno decides, oh, I found this other cave system that's never been explored and we're going to discover it together. Well, it turns out there's a reason that nobody goes into that other cave system because there's mutant humans down there. And nobody comes out of it. Exactly. In theory. Well, in theory, there is a sequel, but the sequel's not very good. But this one, there are two endings, depending on whether or not you're watching the UK cut or the United States cut, because it was decided that the original UK ending was too dark for the US release. <laughs> the I know, because the, in the, the UK ending, the last person alive is just stuck down in the cave. Yeah. So yeah, they no, they changed it. Although I I did find another cool thing. Apparently, this is one of Tobin Bell's favorite horror movies. Ooh, cool! I know. I like. For those of you who don't know, Tobin Bell is best known for playing John Kramer, aka Jigsaw, in the Saw franchise, 
And he's a, he's another horror person that I would love to meet. I just think he'd be really fun to talk to. The last one I have as far as like camping-ish movies. Okay, camping-ish. Camping-ish. Because well, they, do, they, they do go camping. Right. Is uh, the remake of House of Wax, which came out in 2005. Right. Well, because they're on their way to a uh, football game. Mm-hmm. And they end up having to stop for the night. And uh, so they, they basically just camp in this field in the middle of nowhere, I guess. Because they like took it to get off the highway. They took a uh, detour. Detour or a wrong turn. You know, it ends up being. <laughs> yeah. So they end up finding this abandoned town that when basically when the highway was built, it diverted all traffic away from this town and the town just kind of died. Oh, like in cars. Yeah, kind of, except more so. And uh, there is a literal house of wax. Like it was a big tourist draw for the town for, for a while. And it, it is a house that is literally made of wax and has all these wax figures inside. Wait, the house itself is made of wax? Yes. I didn't catch that part apparently years ago when watching it. Yeah, because like Jared Padalecki's character, Wade, goes to like, takes like a pen knife out of mm-hmm. his pocket and kind of scrapes it along the house and like strips actually come out, come off. And he's like, no, it's literally wax, which isn't so good for later in the movie when it catches fire. I wouldn't think it would be very good in general because I mean, you get a good hot summer. Next thing you know, oh, don't go in the attic. It's sagging. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is, I think this house is in the South somewhere. So I don't know. I don't know how it worked. So there's a bit where there's like a lot of melting wax. Mm -hmm. Apparently the melting wax was made with peanut butter and Alicia Cuthbert kept getting stuck in it. (laughs) (laughs) And other than the title, this movie has absolutely nothing to do with the original House of Wax film with Vincent Price. It's just a title. It's the fact that there's a title and there's wax figures. That's literally the only two things that these films have in common. And the wax figures are in a house or structure. Yeah, basically. Basically, Does not have to be made out of wax. Yeah. I I actually high, I think it's a it's a decent movie. There's a lot of it's it is very 2000s, very early 2000s because you've got Jared Padalecki like right before he started being on Supernatural and then you've got Paris Hilton and you've got Chad Michael Murray and a lot of people that are very that were very big in the early 2000s cuz I think this was also around when like One Tree Hill was popular. One Tree Hill plus uh, Jared Padalecki was on uh, Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls. So, yeah. And Paris Hilton was on yeah. Um her of Simple Life. Was that in the early 2000s? Yeah. Pretty I sure. Know, I only ever saw reruns. I don't know. I mean a single episode of a rerun. Yeah. Uh, for those keeping count. <laughs> and I do <laughs> So I have a couple of vacation slash road trip movies that I just want to mention. Mm-hmm. So the first one is The the Hills Have Eyes. There are two versions of the film because the original one was in 1977. Mm-hmm. The remake was released in 2006 and has a very similar plot. Yeah. It's basically a suburban family is on vacation and they are set upon by a like an inbred family in the Nevada desert, basically. The only difference is the remake, the desert is in New Mexico instead of Nevada. But both of them, the re- part of the reason why the family is like inbred and mutated is because they live on or near former nuclear testing sites, which is the reason why, you know, Nevada desert, New Mexico desert. Fair. The family is based on the legend of Sonny Bean. Sonny Bean was like a, I believe it was in Ireland. It was in Ireland or Scotland. 
that was basically a family that was heavily inbred that basically lived in like a cave system. I'll go into that more on a later episode, actually. But if you're interested, Google it because it's a it's a really fucked up story. So I have fun facts for both the original and the remake. Show us the fun facts. Yes. Cute. For the original one, Wes Craven initially had the idea. That, so the, the suburban family has a baby with them. And he initially toyed with the idea of having the baby die or be killed rather. And apparently the entire, like the entire or most of the cast and crew threatened to quit if he killed the baby. (laughs) So the baby lives. The original film was also rated X when it first went through to the MPAA. So it had to get edited down quite a bit to get an R rated. Because if in, in the States, if your movie is rated X, you're pretty much relegated to the porn theater circuit which isn't necessarily what you want for a horror movie necessarily. Yeah. So for the remake, the main fun fact I have for that one is Greg Nicotero is in it. He plays one of the mutants, which I thought I didn't know. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Greg Nicotero is a makeup artist. Mm -hmm. He also, he's done a lot of them. I think he does most of the makeup work or his company does for the walking dead. Mm -hmm. He's also, at least directed quite a few episodes. I think he might have also written a few. I'm not, I don't remember exactly though. So the last one I have significant details about is The Strangers. Now I saw this movie in theaters with my friend Emily and her boyfriend Dustin. And when we all left the theater, they left together and I left by myself. And my parents were on vacation at the time. So I went home to an empty house and that was not necessarily great. I'm pretty sure I slept with the lights on and both my cat and the dog with me in the room and like the doors closed and everything. Because you know Jack would go off if somebody just came into my room. He would go off if someone farted across town. Exactly. I, lo- I love that dog. Oh, <laughs> he's the sweetest. He's the sweetest in the world, but I mean... He'd be loud. <laughs> and, and very He's too protective. smart for his own good, yeah. So basically the strangers, three people torture a couple at their vacation home for no reason, really. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's confirmed to have been inspired by both the uh, Tate LaBianca murders Mm -hmm. by the Manson family, as well as a series of break-ins that occurred in the writer-director Brian Bertino's neighborhood when he was a kid. Oh, wow. Now, some people, a lot of journalists and a lot of horror fans actually thought it was also inspired by the Keddie Cabin murders, but he has said that that's not the case. There are a lot of similarities between Keddie Cabin and Strangers, but Mm. yeah, if you're interested in the, uh, in learning more about the Keddie Cabin murders, I highly recommend checking out the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode about it just because they go into it in a, in a decent amount of detail. I'm sure there's a lot of true crime podcasts that are probably covered it as well, but I can't think of one specifically at the moment. One of the other cool things about this movie, Kurt Russell has said that this movie always scares him. Wow. The strangers. Apparently he was at a, he was on James Corden's talk show mm-hmm. in like 2017. And I don't know how they got on the topic of this movie, but Kurt Russell said that it, it always manages to scare him no matter what. That's which I mean, wow. this is a dude who faced the thing. So, and escaped New York and LA and took care of some trouble in Little China. Yeah, took care of some big trouble in Little China. Yeah. Yeah. To wrap this up, I have four honorable mentions that I don't want to go into too much detail on because we're already running long. Um, <laughs> first one <laughs> first one is uh, Wolf Creek. 
Oh. Which we just watched for the first time recently. Oh, it was brutal. And that one is also, it's, it's really good. And it is based on two different serial right. killers in Australia. I, I always remember one. I always remember Ivan Millat, but I can't ever remember the other one. Interestingly enough, when I was doing my research, that movie was not released in certain parts of the northmost part of Australia because the um, murder trial for Peter Falconio, who was mm-hmm. that, who was a backpacker who disappeared, his remains have actually never been found. I think the trial for that murder was going on. Oh yeah, so that would have kind of interfered with things. Yeah. Uh, next one I have is Joyride, which is Paul Walker and Steve Zahn and, and Candy Kane. The- <laughs> <laughs> don't fuck around with cb radios fuck folks what? <laughs> for fuck's sake don't fo- don't i don't come oh my god <laughs> sorry don't fuck around with cb radios folks there got it out um well done you thank you splinter is another one that i have that i've i've seen and i don't think you have no i haven't seen it We'll have to watch it at some point, but I'll need to be, I'll, I'll need a couple of margaritas first. Because there's like a, this couple, there's like a well-to-do couple that are on vacation and then like another couple that are like bank robbers or something get stuck in this gas station in the middle of nowhere. And there's this parasitic species that is like taking over people's bodies mm-hmm. and the animals and stuff. And it's really, it's, uh, it's challenging for me. But I would watch it again for you. <laughs> Aww. Because I love you that much. So the last one I have, I saved for last because I figured, because I, I know you're going to get really excited when I just, just when I say the name. Green Room. Oh my God, yes. Green Room is so good. Oh, it is probably, honestly, of all of the movies that we've mentioned in this episode, and I'd even venture to say a majority of the movies we've said so far in this entire podcast series go back and listen to the rest of them confirm for me it is terrifying it is scary and there's something i I absolutely love it when i see someone who generally doesn't play a villainous role play a villainous role and i get two that play villainous roles that i'm not used to seeing as villains although usually we only get to hear his voice yes so green room at time of recording it is available to watch on netflix and in the u.s i'm not sure about and about other countries i know we do have some listenership in other countries but if you can find this movie i highly recommend it it's tense it is very tense so basically there it's it's (laughs) it was one of anton and it was also We're talking about camping from the start. Now I'm talking about how tense it is. But it's not that kind of tense. No, it's not that kind of tense. So it was actually one of Anton Yelchin's last films Mm -hmm. before his unfortunate accident. So basically there is this like punk rock band that is at the end of like a really low budget tour that is basically like the, the little bit of money that they get from the various shows that they do just fuels them being able to get to the next show and sometimes not even that because there's like there's a couple times where they like have to siphon gas yeah and couch surfing and there's no hotels this is no yeah there were no there's sleeping in the van or sleeping at somebody's house that kind of deal so they accept because they haven't don't hardly have enough money to get back home they accept a gig at this 
little rural club in the middle of nowhere that turns out to be a neo-Nazi skinhead bar and they witness a murder (laughs) and are kept from leaving because of witnessing a murder and they don't want to go to the cops but it's it's so good patrick stewart mm-hmm. is in it yes he is and the the guy who does the voice of grizz on we bear bears is yeah. also in it like if i close my eyes i can hear grizz i can see his animation but what grizz is saying is not what i expect Right, well, because we've also seen him on like uh, a couple episodes of Drunk History. Yeah. So we're used to seeing him just being like this big lovable, l- lovable guy, like maybe drunk, but not like terrifying. Terrifying, holding a gun on people. That ain't even a gun. That's a hand cannon. It's oh my god, yeah, it's yeah, but it's it's a really good movie. I highly recommend it. It's so it's a brutal watch, but I I think it's good. If you like movies that require some problem solving and, well, shit, now that plan's out the window. What do we do now type thinking? Yeah. You want to think along with or scream at your computer or your TV? Yeah. This will be a good one for you. Yeah. Uh, Aaliyah Shawkat's also in the movie. She mm-hmm. She's uh, done quite a bit, but she's probably best known as uh, Cousin Maybe on Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's... It's good. I, I, I recommend it. It, ba- it barely fits into this week's theme, but I had to mention it just because it's so good and I want people to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you're in for a ride. If you want to see Sir Patrick Stewart be a complete asshole, then uh, this is the movie for you. <laughs> so that is all I have to say about summer camp and vacation movies for now. We might cover the topic again later on, maybe, or... or do some more in-depth stuff because i know there's some stuff we probably did i know we didn't touch on jeepers creepers or some of the other movies that people are we're probably expecting us to cover so if we didn't cover your favorite you know we only have so much time we can't cover everything we're not doing three hour long episodes no we we cover our favorites if we missed yours sorry i guess (laughs) did you have anything else to say on the subject if you do go camping this coming few weeks Please be safe mm-hmm. and maybe try not to get yourself killed by a slasher. Yeah, that'd be nice. We would we would be sad to, to see a listener go. Plus, I can't imagine that that would be a very good way to go. No. All right. So that's going to do it. <laughs> really dark ending. I know. I'm so... Do you know? <laughs> I feel like we should tell a joke, but I can't think of anything. I have a punchline in my head, but I don't have the setup. Okay, give me the punchline. I'll give something you the setup. About, something about... Uh, oh, I got it. Okay. So, I, I, this is a shitty setup. I apologize. I, I, I don't remember. What do you call having sex while camping? Fucking intense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done. I, oh. <laughs> I love you. (laughs) I love you too. My name is Tia. My name is David. And thank you for listening. Bye. Music for this episode was Against Time by Shane Ivers from Silverman Sound.